So I want to welcome everybody watching online, everybody listening, driving down the road. Yeah, come on, we can give it up for them. Part of the fam, stretched out from Japan to, to Jacksonville, right here on the street. So uh, it's so good to see you all and excited about what God's going to do. Uh, last week, we got started in a new series called Goliath Must Fall. Not really looking at all the, the Goliaths that stand before us. Really, we, what in this series, these few weeks, we wanted to look at what are the giants that are within us? You know, because we're, obviously we're, we're talking about David and Goliath and, and, and talking about the, the giants that are before us. But before David could conquer and defeat Goliath that stood before him, he had to conquer uh, the Goliaths inside of him. He had to conquer these giants. Last week, we looked at criticism and how we, some of us, like we, we take criticism very hard. All of us kind of feel it, but some of us take it harder than others. And oftentimes it's because we're not, we're finding our affirmation in other people, affirmation in man and not in God. And today I, I want to look at a, at a second place in the text. We're really just kind of working our way up to when David slays this giant. That's no spoiler alert, right? You guys know that's how this goes down, right? And not saving like the ending. Uh, and so I, I want to go there today and we're going to talk about insecurity. And so I want to read First uh, Samuel chapter 17 verses 33 through 40. We're going to jump right into the text and uh, really process what God might be speaking to us through this. Uh, remember, David comes up to Saul, uh, and he's just a young boy. He's a shepherd that's kind of a, a food runner, Uber Eats for his dad and to his brothers up on the front lines of battle. And he's not even supposed to be there other than his dad told him to go there. And he like, sees everybody's kind of scared of, of this guy. And here he is, a young man. And he's like, hey, I'll go fight him. And that's where we, we left off last week in verse 32. This week, verse 33 says this. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy or you're too young. And he has been fighting. Goliath's been fighting. Uh, he's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued uh, the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Um, I just lost my place. Everybody say nailed it. Nailed, it. nailed it. Yeah, Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Uh, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on him. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them, um, so he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the, the stream, and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with uh, uh, his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. And that's where we'll, we'll stop it for today. I want to talk about insecurity and, and how do we conquer this giant of insecurity. Uh, I think we live in a really insecure uh, generation uh, more than probably ever. 
Uh, I think we live in this insecure generation. I think there's a lot of factors in this, the social media world that we, I mean, we're, we're like begging for likes, you know, like people like are having like severe, like anxiety stuff and rejection stuff if someone doesn't like their post. Like, it's just amazing to me how much we talk about social media outside of like the digital world. And, and it's because it's having such a huge impact on our culture and our, our generation. I think there's a lot of factors that lead to this, but I think the reality is that we're all insecure in some way. There's, there's uh, areas in our life that we feel insecure about. Uh, I remember when Tara and I, we just had Beckett. We've got three children. Our oldest, Beckett, is eight years old. And I remember when we just had him, and, and kind of what you get if you're a new parent in the, the room or, or you're getting ready to have a, a, a child, you'll, you'll know this is kind of what goes down. Everybody has good advice for you, right? Everybody's an expert. And uh, I remember uh, different you know, moms and dads would come along, and they would have helpful advice, right? Last week, we talked about con, you know, constructive feedback. They had all kinds of feedback. And what that feedback did to us, what people were trying to encourage and teach us, it just made us angry, right? And we never yelled at anyone trying to tell us, hey, like you should try a different bottle or you should try this. But it was already such an overwhelming time and it just made us mad. We never verbalized that except to each other. Like, oh, that drives me crazy when someone like tries to tell me how to raise my kids. And it, it was really, they were just like poking and, and prodding and they weren't even trying, but it was kind of poking our insecurity, because we were just trying to figure this thing out. We were just trying to be good parents, and we were trying our very best, but honestly, we're insecure in it. We weren't comfortable in our own skin as a mom and a dad, because it, it was just new. And, and I don't know if there's something like that for you. Like we said, for us, it was kind of anger, and it would frustrate us. We all deal with insecurity in different ways, and we all have different things that we're insecure about for different reasons. Maybe your reaction isn't to get angry. Maybe it's just to be manipulative and controlling. Maybe it's not to be controlling. Maybe it's just to be passive aggressive. Like I, I don't know what your MO is when you feel insecure. Sometimes it's fight or flight, right? We just run away from it when we're, we're feeling that. But I want to begin to, to, to digest this text in this lens that David was actually what looked like him just like changing out and feeling more comfortable in his own kind of what he was used to. I think there's something deeper that God wants to do in our heart when it comes to insecurity and walking in the confidence of God. The first thing that Saul said to him was that you're too young. You're too young. And uh, this is just kind of a, a phrase that someone would think, because frankly, you know, uh, warriors didn't go off to battle, men didn't go off to battle till 20 years old. So we often talk about, like, how old was David? Well, he was younger than 20. Uh, he was definitely younger than 20. His oldest three brothers, he was one of eight. He was the youngest of eight. The oldest three are off at battle, and that's what the scriptures tell us. So the assumption here is that these older three are older than 20. And so if his mom was having babies one a year, that would put the other four, if he's the eighth, three, four, that's seven. You guys with me on the math here, right? 19, 18, 17, 16, if mom was having one a year with no twins, probably the, the oldest David would have been is like 15. And so unless there was twins and it was a little bit closer and some of them didn't go to battle right away, all these like, whatever. Um, so I think he was probably around 15. Like most theologians say he was probably somewhere in, in that age. Uh, Jonathan, who was like his best buddy, Saul's son, uh, he was 10 years older than, than David. And so he passes over his sword and gives him his cloak. And, and, and the scriptures say nothing that, that that didn't fit him. So I think he was able to fit into 
a guy who was about 10 years older, but Saul, who was considerably older than him, when he put on his stuff, he didn't, he didn't fit. And so Saul was just judging based off of what he knows. He was just judging based off what he knows. Like, you're too young. You're too, this, this doesn't make sense for you to be the one to uh, defeat that. But the, really the first thing I'm going to lean in here and tell us is that age, stature, gender, status, race, or background is never a limiting factor for how God can use you. It, it never is. Like people in their eyes, they, those things may limit you in some way, shape, or form in their minds, but it's never a limiting factor in the kingdom of God and how he believes that he can, can use you. And, and I think we live, we absolutely live in a culture where ageism is a thing. Like some people get let go kind of at the end of their careers because it's like, hey, you got the biggest paycheck. And so we're higher and younger. That's a whole thing in our professional marketplace right now. Racism is a thing. It may not be a thing in your life, but it is a thing in our culture that we are still working against. Sexism is still a thing. Like just, you know, go hang around a sports bar and you'll hear some chauvinistic comments in which it's, it's, a, it's a thing. And so we're still kind of working uphill in some ways. And maybe you felt that. Maybe you felt that in your life and you felt maybe it's your background that you didn't grow up in a Christian home. And you felt like that, that kind of limits you from how God can use you. Uh, maybe it's, it's um, you know, something about the way you look, like you don't, you don't fit the part for what you feel like God's called you to. And maybe that's, you feel like limits you. Maybe your gender, maybe, maybe you feel like because I'm a woman, I can't, I can't really assert myself and help in the kingdom of God because I grew up in this church in which women were just like told to be quiet. It's like, I, I, I don't know what you've allowed or what's come into your life. And somebody, whether they realized it or not, spoke something over you that, man, it became a limiting factor for how God might be able to use you. But I want us to take that off today. Because there's freedom, and God has called you right where you're at. First uh, uh, Timothy four and twelve, Paul is writing a letter to his spiritual son Timothy, and he says, "Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity." And I think Paul would be okay with us doing this as he's writing this. I don't know what you've let somebody look down on you because of whether it be gender, race, background, status, whatever, height, you know, stature, status, whatever, whatever it was. But I think you could fill in the same thing. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are, like, what's the thing that you need to fill in the blank there that in your head has limited how God can use you? Because God was, had brought, he had positioned David for this moment. And I believe that God's positioned you for this moment, like in your life. He has positioned you. And David was not stepping up to the battle to pat himself on the back and like, look at the giant I conquered. He was stepping into the battle because his people were afraid. And the people I like, carried a disgrace because of this Philistine they were up against. And I think if we'll grab this and we'll take hold of the moment like David did and conquer this insecurity within us or whatever limiting factors in our head and we'll cross that threshold, like God is going to bring us into a season in which you are on the battlefield to not bring yourself a pat on the back, but to bring somebody else freedom and to set somebody else free, to bring disgrace off of somebody else. Um, and, and so I just, I, I'd encourage you, don't let anybody uh, limit that. Uh, Saul goes on to say, don't, um, you know, he's been a warrior, like, since he was a kid, man. He's been doing this forever. You are, out, not only are you too young, you are outmatched. That 
insecurity kind of gets stirred up from a lot of different angles, if you've noticed. And even if you're not feeling super insecure, it only takes you walking into a room in which you feel someone's a lot more educated than you are. You've always felt confident in your education. Then you talk to them and you're like, I'm kind of stupid, (laughs) you know? And then uh, all of a sudden, you you know, you find yourself with someone you think you're doing good in your career. Then you rub up against someone and like, man, they're, they're light years, they're younger than you and light years ahead of where you're at. Then all of a sudden you feel a little insecure about, about where you're at in your journey. It's comparison. And that's what Saul is provoking here without even knowingly. I don't even think, I think he's talking real talk here, man. You're too young and he's been doing this way too long. Like you're not the guy I'm going to choose, but that's not a limiting factor for God. And I think I would tell you today that the enemy will always try to use other people to intimidate you away from what God has called you to, to get you to shrink away through comparison. There's a a lot of conversation around comparison. I think because we realize it's such a big deal in our society right now. And and I've battled that in my own life, and I'm guessing you have too. I I don't know in which ways you found yourself comparing yourself to others. I threw it out on social media this week, and some people are like, I compare about how much money I make to what other people make. Maybe you compare how much money you make to your spouse. And like that's, there's insecure, like just in in your own marriage. Like maybe it's comparing the way you look to the way somebody else looks. Comparing your marriage to the way someone else's marriage looks. I don't know what you find yourself comparing, but I know it's not only an enemy of joy, it prevents us from even, before we can even step on the battle. Like we've lost already because we're not walking. As long as we're trying to live somebody else's journey, we can never start our journey. So for those of you that have kind of been comparing, as long as you're kind of living in somebody else's thing, you have not stepped onto your own uh, battle, battlefield. So how do we defeat that? Like, how do we defeat this comparison that we live and we find ourselves in these moments that maybe insecurity gets poked and stirred up and it creates fear, anxiety, or, or stress, or anger, like I said before? How do we do it? What if it's a lot simpler than what we ever make it? What if it's not some kind of mental Olympics? What if it's simply falling in love with what Jesus falls in love with? Like, that's simple because Jesus loves you. God created you as you are. And we talk about loving the things that Jesus loves and loving the people out there that, that Jesus loves. But oftentimes we look in the mirror and we don't love what Jesus loves. Because he loves me, but do I love me? Or, or, or am I just still insecure about my crooked bottom teeth? About my frizzy hair and, cur- and cowlicks? Like, I, I don't know what you'd begin to fill in the blanks about the things that are insecure about your body or the way you talk or where you come from or what education you don't have. I don't know what it is and what you find yourself comparison, but I think the way to defeat it is to fall in love with who God created you to be. Like deeper and more powerful that when you look in that mirror, you do not see anything else but chosen, beloved child of God, son and daughter. Like that will begin to break comparison off. That'll begin to set us free on the journey that he's created for us. I'm not trying to run anybody else's race. I just want to be faithful in what he's called me to do. Maybe you found yourself there today. 
Uh, David's response to Saul's kind of looking on the situation, you're too young, he's been doing this way too long, you're outmatched. Uh, David responds with, but I've been watching my dad's sheep, man. Like, I'm ready for this. Like, that doesn't seem to be comparable experience or like that translates, you know, like when you show up to the interview and like, what skills do you have? It's like showing up to the Jags game, you know, or Jags stadium to talk to the coach and be like, hey, I'm, I'm here to try out for quarterback. What have you been doing? Like, where have you played? Well, I've been mowing my dad's grass and I've been, uh, been watching my little brother, and I think we're, I think I'm ready. And he's like, no, that doesn't translate. But David goes on that there was way more to just what it looked on the outside in David's experience. Because he says he, he, had, he had conquered and he had uh, killed this lion and this bear, and he had been practicing his slingshot skills, as we will find out. And here's what I want you to, to know this morning is that God knows how to translate your life, your relational, your professional experience. He knows how to translate that into ministry experience for his glory. This is good news because I know a lot of you have been through so much in your life. You've been through abuse. You've been through neglect. You've been through things that like, are even difficult to talk about in your life. You've been through so much. Maybe some of you have been through seasons, you know, five, ten years at a job, and it was dead end, and you felt persecuted while you were there because you were the only Christian. I don't, I don't know. You've been through these seasons in which they feel wasted. They just feel like brokenness and nothingness, but God knows how to convert it into ministry experience for his glory. Uh, this, this passage, he's talking about this lion and chasing down this lion and, and this bear. And I remember when I was in Kenya, Africa, and we were on the Maasai um, Mara uh, game reserve, and we were you know, doing a safari and saw, some, saw a cheetah hunt and a giraffe take its first steps that had been born. It was like, you, like, you, can't, you can't line it up. It was just incredible. But the Maasai people are, are, are where the women stack their rings around their neck. You know, and they get longer and longer, and that's like a sign of beauty in their culture. It's also the people where you see like flies, National Geographic, like all over their, all over their face. Have you ever seen that before? My, I don't know that's seen that. And anyway, they they live in these dung huts that are kind of maybe the, the length of this row here. That's about how big their home is. And uh, and, and I remember hearing this story while while we were there that that young men from age fourteen to. 18, uh, that when, you know, like once a year, these group of men, uh, young men, go out to kill a lion, and they're not allowed to come home until they kill this lion. Like some of you that are like 14 to 18 years old right now, you, you, you leave right now, and you can't come home until you kill a lion. That's what was a part of, of their culture. So they leave off. Sometimes they do it in a week or two, sometimes a couple of months before they could come back. And, and what happened when they came back is they, you know, they all wore these headdresses, these, these cultural headdresses for the Maasai people. But that one guy who was responsible for the kill, who, who took ownership for it and killed the lion, he wore the mane. Like it was like a, like a, a, you know, a, a crown for him that he had defeated. So there was this huge kind of honor and power in this. And I think so many times we walk around beat up and defeated living in our past because what Jesus did at the cross is he slayed the dragon for us. 
Like he defeated sin for us and the crown we have, there's no greater crown. There's no greater uh, authority we have than we have already right now in Christ. That we are more than conquerors. We are the head and not the tail. And so I encourage you to lean into that. God can convert every bit of the brokenness in your life, what felt like wasted experiences and he can convert it into ministry experience for his glory. Not just for your glory, for his glory glory, but for your good. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight, one of my favorite passages. We know, there's just this confidence that we know in all things, God works for the good of uh, those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He works it all to, in all things. Some of you guys might need to go a little further and not just say in all things in that season. Like you may need to put words behind it in This season, in June of 2012, God was working for the good of me who loves him and I'm called according to his purpose. As I was reading and studying this particular text in Romans 8, 28, and thinking about purpose and the calling on each of us that's unique, um, I was blown away when I found out what the word purpose was used for in Greek. It's actually the same word that's used um, in, in, for Jewish uh, Greek folks, um, as the word showbread. Some are like, that means nothing to me. Like, why is that a big deal? <laughs> showbread comes from, um, f- from Israel, and God commanded the, the people to, to build a tabernacle for him. And in this tab- tabernacle, God gave very explicit instructions about what was to be in here. And one of those things was a golden table. And on this table, there was to be the showbread. The showbread is, you'd probably know it as matzah, right? If, if you have Jewish friends, your Jewish background, uh, it's matzah. And so it's unleavened bread. And it was to be set out uh, at the end of uh, Shabbat, at the end of, of the Sabbath. On that afternoon, the priest would come by and eat the showbread. They would consume all of it. And then they would set out fresh matzah. They'd set out fresh uh, showbread, and then it would, it would just sit there in the dry open air all week long until the next Sabbath was over, and they would come, and the priest would consume it. It was set there as an offering, as a sacrifice before the Lord. As I begin to, uh, I'm like, why, why are they using the same word here? God, what are you saying through this? And like, why am I like going down this rabbit trail for this morning? God began to stir some things uh, in, in this that I, I was like, wow, because here, here's a few things. I want to show you the picture, because they actually would uh, make art out of their food. Uh, matzah could, could actually show up in different forms like this. It could like, you know, they, they kind of made food art out of it. Like this is like so hipster of uh, the Israelites a long time ago to be making art with our food. I don't know if you like Chef's Table or any of those. We were finishing the finale of uh, Top Chef last night, if any of those shows. And they make art out of this food. It's just so beautiful. A few things stood out to me just about this matzah and what God might be saying to us about our purpose that is set before him. One, every single one of our calling and purpose and how God has created us is so unique. God's created your purpose uniquely. It's not the same as Pastor Kyle. It's not the same as the person sitting next to you. It is unique to you, and that is beautiful. And every single time, any different artisan, like matzah artisan would create it, it would be a little bit different because their hands were different and their styles were different, and that's okay. God, God made you, you uniquely. They were never dried out. 
Like sometimes we, we feel like we're, we're washed up and we're done or like I, I, I've ran for too long. I, my, my, I can't be used. Like it's never, your calling, your purpose is never dried up. God knows how to use it. If you, if you ever dive into to ministry with all your heart, just a life of ministry, you'll find yourself at times just feeling empty and feeling like you've given all you have to give. Like it's all, all your purpose has been consumed and like that's actually, I think you're doing something right when you get in that place, but there's another side of this in which we learn to abide in Christ, in which we are renewed day by day. And even as our bodies are wasting away, this Romans 8, 28 tells us, or 8, uh, 8, 18 actually tells us, even as that's happening, like his glory is being revealed through us and it's renewing uh, his his spirit within inside of us. So uh, even those times where we feel consumed, it's renewed. So even though the priest ate it, our purpose can still be uh, renewed. And the last thing that stood out to me is that these things were huge. Like if I would ask you, like how big would you guess this showbread was on the table? A pound, I don't know what you would say. This matzah, I say, I don't know why I say matzah, like an Italian or something like that. This matzah, this matzah was 11 pounds. That's huge. That's larger than what any of us would ever imagine they would set out before them. So when these guys were eating, it was all you can eat, bro. Like, let's all get in here. Let's eat all we can. 11 pounds. What if the purpose that God has for your life is way bigger than what you ever will realize? Like, would we stop being so insecure about what God's called us to? Last week, we talked about the word just and getting the word just out of our phrase. I'm just doing this. Not only when we receive, we know that it's way bigger than what we will ever realize. So I just want to encourage you, like you've been shaped uniquely and God's got big plans for your life. They would not only call this showbread or as we call it matzah now, they would call it face bread. Face bread, because every angle you looked at it, it looked different. It, you could see a different angle of this beautiful piece of artwork and food that they had created to, to lie before the Lord. And I, I would just t- tell you that, that at every angle in your life, you may not feel like you're, you're exuding a lot of beauty in, in your life, but your life, your purpose, your calling is to show his face around every corner, that every time someone sees a different side of you at work or at church or in the community, like they just get a different glimpse of God's work inside of you, that God's purpose is at hand for your good and, and for his glory. So nothing's, nothing's been wasted. David goes on to say, the Lord will rescue me. There's so much confidence in his voice, like when all of us would be shaken in our little space boots at this point. Like we'd just be terrified to step out and battle against this giant, like a man you've literally never seen that large before. And he steps out and he says, the Lord will rescue me. The Lord will rest. He'll do it again. He did it before. He'll do it again. And, and I would just in, encourage you today that there's a massive difference between human confidence and spiritual confidence and godly confidence. Because one is solid ground and one is shaking, uh, sinking sand. I think so many times we want to appear confident and that's not confidence. Like it's human confidence. Godly confidence is birthed from within. 
And you, you can notice in people someone who is resting in God's confidence. And I'll tell you, like, just throughout the weeks, there's some days I'm walking a little more in that godly confidence than others. Other days I'm more walking in, and, and it's not usually like you think. It's usually when we're most broke down and most tired that we find ourselves the most in our godly confidence. You'd think it'd be the other way around when we most got, you know, because it's actually when we most got it together, that's actually when we're trying to live in our own strength, and that's the danger there. Remember, as the passage goes, that um, we can do, I can do all things through Christ, not through my own strength. And so I walk in that confidence. Here's what I would say to us today. Um, I think that rescued people, like David said, the one who delivered me, I think rescued people have their confidence in God. If you're struggling with insecurity in any way, I'd ask you to go back to the beginning and remember how bad you were. Remember when God rescued you up out of that pit of depression, when he rescued you out of that hole of addiction, like when he pulled you out, or maybe you're there this morning. You're in that insecure place. Maybe you're battling some giants on the outside, and before we can deal with that one, man, we got to conquer this one on the inside. I'm falling in love with who God has called me to be, and I'm not there yet, but I'm past the start, and I'm willing to step out. I think rescued people have their confidence, and in God. So Saul dressed David in his own tunic, and he put his armor on him, and, uh, you know, he put the bronze helmet on and his sword. You can just see him getting suited up, and, you know, Saul was a lot bigger than him, and so they're kind of clunky, and David was a shepherd. He had never done that before. He I mean, he had a sword, but it wasn't like he had killed a man with it before. He just killed a bear. Not this. It's awesome, you know, like to us now, but like not the same same thing, but God knew how to turn that into this experience. And I think what we can learn from, from David is to, to walk in um, the spiritual, um, walk in, in, in our spiritual uh, clothing, not just our physical, because uh, we'll never be prepared uh, for battle if we only clothe ourselves uh, in the physical. We're, we'll always be prepared if we're clothed in the spiritual. Ephesians 6 is a great place for us to, to go and study. If you're kind of living too much in confidence in the flesh and living to be physically prepared, to make sure all your P's and Q's are always lined up. And look, there's nothing wrong with developing your talent and growing in all those things. But, but there is, is something to be said for I'm going to be spiritually clothed even if I'm not physically clothed. Like even if I'm not all the way there yet, even if I'm not totally prepared, because don't you think David could have used a few more weeks of practice in a slingshot? You know, he could have said, oh, I'm going to go out. I'm going to just practice a little bit more. Maybe I need to conquer a few, a few more things. Maybe I need to hit 20 years old. And, and he, he moved all his excuses to the side. Like, no, I'm here and I'm willing to step into the battle, but I'm not going to step into it the way that man wants me to step into it. And I think there's some battles going on in your life, and there's a, there's a tendency, there's a challenge that, should I step into this in the physical? And I just want to challenge you to step into it in the spiritual first, because you'll never be prepared for the battle that lies before you if you're not fighting it in the spiritual first. When I was in seventh grade, I, um, I, my grandpa gave me uh, this old rusty Yamaha guitar, and it, sat, it was sitting in his closet, and then he passed it on to me, and I put it in a sat in my closet for a while. And eventually, uh, my parents are like, hey, you, you want to go do a guitar lesson? And I'm like, that sounds great. So I remember driving down this winding road uh, into this small town outside of my town. And uh, we went up to this guy's house, and his, he was doing guitar lessons at his house. And 
we went in, and uh, he began to teach me music, how to read music at seven, in seventh grade, and I had no musical experience till then, and, and walked in there, and I, let me just, and it was like classical guitar. He was teaching me classical guitar, and you, you kind of have to be a very special seventh grader to like want to learn um, classical guitar at that age. I was not that special kid to like do it. I was not that, and so I hated it. It was terrible. I, I walked out, like we, we, you know, we went home. I'm like, Dad, I don't ever want to go back there. That was boring. I hate it. So we got in the car. It was right after Princess Diana had passed. And we're driving home. And I'll never forget it, that the song that Elton John kind of redid, Candle in the Wind, I would have liked to know you, that one, um, begins to play on the radio. And I was like, I hate this. I hate music. I hate guitar. And then like we're driving down the road and I'm like, I love this song. Like I was just in love with the song. I mean, it was just a great, well-written song. And, and just kind of in that moment, there was like still this thing that was like, nope, there's something else here. So fast forward a couple of years, and I'd end up getting a, another less rusty guitar for Christmas one year. And I just began strumming in my, in my room with a couple of chords and began to write terrible songs over these two terrible chords that I could play. And uh, they weren't even the same key. Now I know they're, they weren't even the same key, but at that time, they were just playing these two chords. And um, it was an E and an A minor. It's like two, they're so different from each other, for those of you that know music. But um, in, in this, this moment, I began to write songs, and I began to imitate people I saw. Like I, you know, I'd listen to a John Mayer song, and I'd try to sing a song like John Mayer. And then I'd listen to a U2 song, and I'd try to sound like Bono, or listen to Dave Matthews, and try to sound like Dave Matthews. And what you got was just a bunch of terrible, you know, it was just a bunch of like terrible sounding stuff. Cause I was constantly just trying to imitate uh, everyone else. And so I'd end up, you know, taking some mu- more music lessons and, and growing in this after I learned how to play guitar. And I say all that to say is cause I went through all those seasons of imitation of trying to kind of walk in somebody else's skin and was never happy, never confident, but somewhere something clicked kind of in my, my young adult years and kind of fleshing out songwriting and my passion, who I was, right? Isn't that kind of I mean, trying to work through a lot of that stuff? And, and I came to this place of like, okay, I'm going to be me. Like, who, who am I? And maybe you're there today and you're just kind of dis- discovering it, who you are it, all again in the spirit. And, and I would just encourage you today is like, don't try to imitate anybody else. Just walk in who God's created you to be. Because what followed that was great confidence, like in who I was. And I, I looked in the mirror and I, and I fell in love with who God had created me to be. And, and I think some of you need to do this. Like you need to be so awkward with yourself in the mirror later today and be like, I love who you've created me to be. Because I think if a lot of us are honest, we can't say that in confidence. We don't. We wish we were more confident. We wish that we had our act together a little bit more. We wish that right, we looked different. We wish that we, whatever, you know, and we haven't fallen in love yet with who God's created us to be. So we keep imitating everyone else. The last thing that happens is David approaches the giant. And I think the moment that we're in right now is a moment for some of us that we've been battling insecurity about the way we've looked, the way we talk, our education, or our lack of background, or whatever as you feel like it's been limiting. We're, we're right here, and before we can face that battle out there, we got to face this battle right here. we we gotta, we got to receive who God has called us to be and fall in love all again with who he's called us to be. And so this is a moment 
for us to begin to approach this giant in the spirit, not in the physical. We can take off all that other stuff, the front we've been putting on, somebody else's helmet, you know, somebody else's story that we've actually been lying to other people about, been making that our story. Like, I, I, if we'll get honest this morning and we'll begin to boldly approach the, this giant, I feel like God's going to just bring freedom. We were saying, singing about freedom earlier. I think God's going to bring some freedom. I want to ask you to stand. There's going to be a prayer team here, and I want to pray over you. And if you'll just bow your head with me, this prayer team's going to be up here, and I think this is a moment in which you can approach the Philistine. I think this is a moment in which you can approach the giant, set aside insecurity and walk in the confidence of who God has called you to be. God, I thank you for this time we have. I thank you for your holy word. And I thank you for this, this opportunity we have to approach this giant of insecurity in our life. God, I pray for anyone that walked into this room hating, like literally hating parts of who they are hating their speech impediment, hating the way they look, the size they are, the height they are, the frizziness of their hair, their freckles or their skin color. God, would you help us to walk out in confidence, in love with who you've called us to be, even if we don't totally know all that is. God, we want to walk boldly and approach this giant today. God, we thank you for it. God, I just pray for people that will boldly step out into who you've called them to be. God, not for our own glory, but for your glory and for the freedom of a lot lot of other people. God, for those that walked into this place burdened by those limiting factors or those things they've been through, I pray they would see it today, God, that you can convert those things into experience for your glory, for your kingdom. We trust you're going to do that today in Jesus' name.